Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're spoiled today with the choice of a number of people to give Craig Whitcomb, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock their opinions on various topics that we want to get through today. And those two guys are people I've known for a number of years. Both have been in the paddock for over five years as motor racing journalists. First of all, Lewis Isaacs. Welcome on board, Lewis. Thank you very much for having me. Great to know you're here. And secondly, we've got Jordan Mulek, who is... Uh, has a particular bent towards uh, providing information to touringcarcetime.com, which uh, is somewhere I don't very go, regularly go and look. Where does that uh, website uh, originally state from? Uh, so it actually started in 1995, and my editor at the moment, uh, Johan Meisner, or Meisner, uh, actually works as PR for Polestar. So it's a Swedish-based, European-based website, but I'm the Australian correspondent. So pretty much they have a look through the yellow pages of whoever was available in Australia to do content for them, and they looked to the very bottom of it and found me. Look, it's been a fascinating time, and I'm sure that both of you would be well aware, as Craig and I have been discussing, that while the season may have ended after a, uh, a very well-deserved win by uh, a combination of Van Gisbergen and Panda, uh, and yet another Bathurst win for Triple Eight. Um, the, the, the news keeps coming. I mean, it's extraordinary how the number of things, first of all, we had the elongating of the season almost by uh, Scotty McLaughlin heading off to IndyCars. And now we've got the situation with the Adelaide 500 uh, over and it's all putting the uh, season starting to put it sometime in the distance. I, I'm sure you'd agree with that, Lewis. Yeah, well, you know, when I used to work at Auto Action, we found the off-season didn't really exist at certain stages. And um, I guess perhaps because this year has been a bit truncated, it's starting a bit early. Uh, the Scott News was fantastic and I thought he performed exceptionally well given the circumstances. You know, he had a week to get over there to jump in a pretty unfamiliar car at one of the toughest tracks against seasoned uh, IndyCar open-wheel experts and he held his own. Uh, so that was fantastic. And then obviously the Adelaide News came as a bit of a shock. Uh, obviously, it was going to be switched to later in the year, but the big call from the SA government came. Um, it doesn't seem like anyone in supercars land saw it happening, which is uh, not great, I guess, to put it to put it lightly. Um, and yeah, the fallout is going to continue for a bit longer. I saw there was some conjecture about the opposition party already uh, promising to to go back if they get re-elected, which is a pretty interesting campaign. If you're if you're voting in South Australian politics on the basis of the race, good luck to you. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a, a, I'd say a kick in the guts in some ways, but also a wake up call, which I think is probably more appropriate. It's an opportunity for supercars to just take stock of the product they're putting out there at the moment and try to understand why you know its biggest domestic event, essentially specialist one, it has been uh, canned. And Jordan, whilst we're talking about Adelaide. It has been interesting to see that right when it was about to get a, a reboot, if you like, um, going to the end of the year, that the government has pulled the, the rug out. And as I've said on the show previously, right when domestic tourism is about to uh, go through the roof because people aren't going to be able to go to overseas. So they'll want to hit 
those special events around the country? Yeah, there's something very odd and very strange about all this. I mean, the the line is never waste a good crisis, and it certainly seems like the SA government has done indeed that. But you know, the fact that they they wheeled out stuff in in their announcement, like uh, listing that you know they were possibly the the only uh, street circuit when in fact Townsville had hosted a pretty successful one this season. Um, and you know they were the last race before COVID. Obviously, we we had problems earlier this year, and attendance was down. And I think there was a very good piece in in the wake of that, showing that it was pretty much mainly down to the fact that obviously at that time we'd be going through a lot of the bushfires. People were donating a lot of money to that. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty at that time. This was before we even thought coronavirus would be the thing that it now is. So. Yeah, it, it, it's a big, it seems like a big waste, the fact that we've gotten rid of what has been arguably the biggest race outside of Bathurst and, as you said, was about to get rejuvenated by being to the, moved to the end of the calendar, you know, almost as a sort of grand finale type deal. Um, yeah, it, it's just a shame, I think, that all of us are really struggling to actually process it because unlike most other news that happens in the category this wasn't built up to over time this was literally an announcement and that was it as 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 you said before it doesn't even sound like supercars really knew that it was coming um so yeah hopefully there'll be a resolution to this hopefully we will get back at the adelaide street circuit at some point but um yeah for now it's unfortunate that rather than looking ahead to a race to finish the season at one of our best venues we're mourning the loss of one of the greatest circuits in australia one of the senior management that i know and i won't name him for obvious reasons he didn't hear about it until channel 7 news that published it so it's an extraordinary thing i was going to say that's the really strange thing that it does look like it uh, that news report first broke on the local Channel 7 News in Adelaide. You know, there was no big thing about PR releases or anything like that. It was, um, yeah, done through Supercar's new media partner um, on, you know, a small, not regional news site, um, but, you know, at least on state level. So, yeah, it's um, we often criticise Supercar's for not being the clearest um, with their communication, but even they'll be feeling pretty jilted by this one. Indeed. Lewis, I know you're well aware of the uh, TV coverage that's proposed and that obviously there's going to be starting next year in 2021. Um, It's an interesting scenario. Um, And if we cast our minds to the other great switch in television uh, sports in Australia, and that being that cricket across to Channel 7. Now, they've been covering a little bit this year. Um, After years, of course, of 40 years of being on Channel 9 and being the home of cricket, um, there's been a lot of uh, water, blood shed over the Cricket Australia contract with the Seven Network. And the suggestion being now that maybe is going to be a similar uh, bloodletting going to go on over the uh, Supercars contract in that uh, will Supercars be saying, well, hang on, with no Adelaide 500, your year's going to you know, kick off pretty crap and that both Repco and Seven saying, um, gee, well, you know, what are we going to do about it sort of thing? Um, it, Lewis, it makes an interesting scenario. I'm sure you'd agree. 
Yeah, well, as Jordan said, it seems like everyone was blindsided by the decision. So it's obviously going to throw a um, a significant spanner into the works with the Channel Seven part. You know, it's it's their first year back after a six year hiatus. They've got um, all the AIG categories in the bank as well. So they're kind of building themselves up as this domestic motorsport service. And you know, for for a race like Adelaide. It's great to be there, but it's also exceptional on TV because, you know, generally speaking, it was the first race of the year. It's an absolute car killer. It was stinking hot in March. You always had someone been at turn eight. You know, it was a reason to tune in. Um, with that gone, yeah, you can understand that there is a perhaps a diminished value to the Supercars Championship, and that's just one of the, the speed bumps they're going to have to process over the next few months. But it's no less significant than having Holden move on if we're honest because that's been the cornerstone of the championship even longer than than the Adelaide 500 or Clipsal 500 or whatever you'd like to call it and they found a, a solution to that problem so hopefully hopefully the big brains up at North Sydney can find some way to get around this but yeah if you're looking at Channel 7 and their history uh, you know they have kind of dragged their heels a bit on the cricket um, the TV industry outside of Channel 9 at the moment seems like, you know, money's reasonably tight, so you can understand where they're coming from. But, you know, coronavirus is kind of outside of everyone's control, unless you believe Donald Trump, who blames it firmly on China. China. Um, and it's just, it's circumstantial. You kind of got to roll with this. So, yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope that there's no significant fallout from the broadcaster perspective because, you know, that would be short-sighted, I think. And James Warburton who's in charge of seven now, uh, was previously in charge in supercars, should understand that better than anyone. Jordan, I think that we should turn our attention now to one of the other big subjects of recent times, that being Bathurst. At the race, I was seated next to Lewis throughout the whole thing. I was right behind Craig, oh, so right. we, uh, we're, we're pretty sick of seeing and hearing each other, or maybe that's a very one-sided <laughs> feeling. But yes, I was lucky enough to, uh, to be one of the very few thousand in, in attendance. Your, your idea of uh, getting to that race and seeing it live firsthand, obviously very different because no crowd. You could get all the hot dogs you wanted because no one was having a, a rush on them. But uh, did the event fulfil what your expectations were of it? For me, this year, it was much less of an event and much more of just a race. I mean, with the uh, with the limited crowd size, it did just feel like a, a big kind of club meeting. Uh, it, it was certainly strange even with how they segmented different portions of the crowd. So, like, for example, my dad was up at turn one uh, and pretty much throughout the whole race weekend, while we were at the track, we weren't able to go see each other. We always have a tradition of, you know, going and catching up for lunch, especially throughout the Super 2 race when that was the old 250K Enduro. You know, we'd always have a lunch and watch that together. Um, but, yeah, it was really, really strange with how it was done this year. And, I mean, it, it was implemented very, very well on Supercar's part. Um and you know that they would have wanted more fans, but with the resistance from the New South Wales government and the New South Wales police, that just was never really going to be possible, which is a, a massive shame. But, um, yeah, I, I thought the event 
for what it was was um, was quite good. It was nice to actually have a bit of a delay with when the morning sessions were run, so you know have a little bit of a sleep in before getting to the track. And yeah, it was nice to not battle the crowds to get food every morning. I'd go to the same coffee cart and get an egg and bacon roll. You know, bring my own lunch. I think all three of us did that across the days. You know, bring your own lunch. It was uh, actually quite nice. It was almost back to basics um, motorsport. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that I that I was there because that'll be an important part of Australian motorsport history to say, yep, there was a Bathurst 1000 run with only 4,000 people in attendance, and I was there that day to see it. Lewis, you and I spent two two and a half hours on top of the mountain, and that to me was a surreal feeling. What what did you take out of that time? Yeah, I, w- I was stunned, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, surreal is a, a really great way of describing it because we went up there and where there'd usually usually be crowds, there was grass, you know, and that was it. That was about as exciting as it got into like outside of the car race. Um, and I think I was just doing, you know, double, triple, quadruple takes uh, constantly because it just, it was astounding that this was a situation we were in. Um, you know, we walked from the metal grate basically down to the dipper and, you know, we saw very few souls apart from the flaggies and the cameramen and lots of police. You know, there was a significant police presence there. Uh, and, and like Jordan, you know, the, for me, the significance of being there was that it was a unique moment in Australian motorsport history. I wouldn't say it was a pleasant one. Um, you know, when you when you get to be someone like me, you get a bit jaded sometimes of large events. And, you know, this time you could get a cheap bed in the middle of town. You could drive right into the track. There was no traffic. But you'd trade all of that convenience just for, you know, a few hundred more fans just so that the place, um, you know, could have had more of a more of a feeling just so that it wasn't so exclusive as well. Um, yeah, it was it was bizarre. It was, a you know, a good race, all things considered. And I think, you know, to Supercar's credit, the show they've managed to put on in these circumstances has been, you know, pretty astounding. Um, and this in Bathurst was no different. but. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a nice race to be at, if I'm honest, apart from the company. Um, it was just, I, I found it quite sad. It, it didn't feel like Bathurst, did it? Like, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like the great race. It felt like a race. Um, that's the really depressing thing about it, that, you know, what was possibly one of the better races that we've seen in the past couple of years, and that's against a really big um, amount of competition you know, in the final Holden factory win at Bathurst and hardly anyone was there to, to witness it. Yeah, even the podium celebration was quite muted oh. given the, the lack of people there. Um, and you could see along the main straight, you know, the social distancing was being enforced and it was little, very little celebrating that could have been done. But, you know, what's the alternative that you don't have it? I, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what you were looking at. So, yeah, I'm... I'm glad I was there, but I wouldn't say I felt great about it. I have to say that uh, down, I was working with uh, Peter Norton taking photos and there was some very strange management of the uh, finish ceremony because of the end of the race and the championship. And literally the podium was still going on. I don't even know if they got to the champagne yet. 
and already they were they had Scotty coming in with the championship trophy presentation. You had these two very conflicting moments, both very important moments, being played out within oh, thirty meters of each other, and uh, taking photos. Like, in fact, there's some photos that Peter would have liked to have taken, but he's had to rely on my shots because he couldn't get into the position he needed to be in because he was watching, you know, he was focusing in on getting shots of uh, of Shane's car and all of a sudden then after some moments happened, he's then found out that Scott's there getting the trophy and and other things were happening. So there was some very strange staging uh, right at the end. Uh, I don't know if you guys who I did see up on the um, balcony there at times, um, got that feeling as well. Well, it looked like it was all orchestrated for TV. Uh, and that was, I guess that makes sense because that's where the majority of the audience is. But yeah, you're right. The significance of both moments was kind of undercut by each one. Um, yeah, there was no, and no one could really soak it in. You could see the DJR car got wheeled out after it had already been in the garage. They had to get everyone to sit on top for the photo. And that was, yeah, moments after Shane had done the, the podium, they had the big glitter and the, then eventually that huge lawn mower to clean it all up. Um, yeah, it was job. Odd. yeah, job. It, it was an odd, odd experience to witness. Um, but perfectly understandable given that the TV audience was, you know, the bread and butter of, um, of that weekend. So from my perspective up on the, on the balcony at the media center, Lewis, I think that you were there with me at the, at the time. Yeah. We saw Scott's car rock up, you know, with, um, half the rear guard missing after he shredded a pair of Dunlops. Um, and yeah, all, all that was going on. Sean Seymour was down there giving him the championship trophy just when everything was happening up on the podium. So I think, and at that stage, I decided to whip the phone out and take some photos of what was happening down there with Car 17. So I think that, you know, I'm probably one of the very few people that's actually got photos of that happening from a reasonably good vantage point because I saw that it was happening. I couldn't see the podium. So it's like, oh, may as well take a photo of whatever's here in front of me. I, I think it was disrespectful and uh, badly managed. Um, and, and I'm not saying it just because, I, you know, I can from a distance, but. Um, they should have thought this through better than they did. Um, there were those two moments that clearly there was not going to be another moment. I mean, you know, the fact that that uh, um, Thomas Randall wasn't crowned the next night. I mean, guys, I mean, you're asking these race teams to go and compete again, possibly. Um, they've, they've dragged themselves away for two weeks and you can't even organise yourselves to have a decision on whether the championship is finished or not. I just think that some of the management decisions made by Supercars Australia has been atrocious. And the way in which that podium and the championship um, with the DJ Tensky team, the way that was done, I think that was atrocious. That was badly, badly handled. This is a culmination of a year of these people being on the road for over three months, for Christ's sake. And I just think that they didn't do that well. But I want to move on from that. Let's move on and talk about the championship. From both your points of view, Jordan, first of all, um, in terms of writing about it, for, and writing about it for an overseas and international audience, um, you know, obviously your pen's been pretty busy in recent times writing words on the, uh, the latest, latest escapades in supercars, but through the year, was there an interest in the series uh, as it drew out? 
Yeah, certainly. So I think um, throughout the year, uh, our our site kept posting, you know, record uh, views kind of months, um, as has been pretty popular with uh, a lot of motorsport sites, whether that's down to people having a bit more time to read it or, you know, just not having jobs. So they're stuck at home. So the next thing that pops up on Facebook, they click on it and read. But, um, yeah, it, it's certainly been a really strange year because on, on top of – having to do everything in supercars land and report on that. I've also had to work in, you know, a retail job and provide for myself, you know, put a roof over my head and put food on the table. So it's, it's been quite a hard balance through all that because at sometimes I just have to say, no, no, I can't cover this story because I'm at work or, you know, sometimes I'll get home after doing a nine or 10 hour day and then just smash out a few news pieces. But especially with the, um, the actual race weekends that that happen whenever they came around it's like oh thankfully you know racing is back it's here and it it really did suck not being able to be at them this year was uh, if i hadn't have been able to go to bathurst it would have been the first year since i think uh 2010 that i hadn't been to a race at all and that would have just felt very very weird um so it, that's why that's another reason why it was nice to to be there um but yeah reporting on it just from afar was pretty tricky um yeah there's something to be said about actually being at the racetrack being able to go to uh you know a a post-race press conference and ask those questions face to face rather than try and do it online or grab things from a from a press release Uh, i i found it a um a very fascinating year, but one that was pretty poorly told, if I'm honest. I thought, well, I found it particularly hard to get stories out there. Uh, that could be me personally. But I think um, the category did a pretty impressive job, all things considered, to get up and running. It doesn't have the might of the NRL and the AFL, so you know it, it couldn't do what they did. But to still get across borders um, and just have the events is pretty fascinating, I think the way they managed the limited crews and changed the race formats was, you know, that was kind of, it was dictated by COVID, but they found a good solution. Um, but the fact that the teams were away for so long, yet the wider coverage of it wasn't there was, I thought, incredibly disappointing because that was, it's a fantastic story, this, um, this sacrifice by like, you know, about a hundred people you'd say across all the teams um, to live out of suitcases with only an hour's kind of, well, a few hours warning. It's, it's unheard of, um, but it just didn't seem to get the coverage deserved. It, it, it didn't resonate. Um, yeah. I, I just thought that was, that was quite sad and, and poorly told from the sport, but the racing itself, when it did happen, I, I thought it was quite good. Um, I actually enjoyed the E series as well prior to the championship restarting i thought that was uh was very entertaining and you know obviously it was a strange time in all of our lives where you're forced to stay indoors and at least you knew what you're doing on a wednesday night um the formats i thought at stages were a little bit artificial um you know you could kind of gamble a win pretty easily if you're a midfield driver which we arguably saw a few times but the cream always rises it was you know djr team penske as it were and Triple Eight that came out on top, and uh, yeah, I thought Bathurst was kind of a fitting place to finish. Um, despite Tony's protests about the the pageantry at the end, I thought you know like 
where else could they go in this tough year? Um, it's the biggest TV event they're going to have. And I don't think Scott's championship is diminished at all by the fact that the championship had a few double headers and that the format's changed halfway through. I think, you know, it was, it's a credit to the teams and the, the organization that it got up and running again. I, I agree totally with you, Lewis. And I have nothing but uh, compliments for the management and the way in which that they did put the series together from when they were going to Salem Men to when they were not going there to when they were double headers and the way in which they went out, the way in which the teams committed to it and supercars committed to it. The one thing I'll say, and you've already used the expression once, uh, Jordan, that is you never let a crisis go to waste. Um, I thought it was a perfect opportunity for some real diligent work and we have not seen it for over 20 years in supercars. But I'm sure you may know of the history that myself and uh, Tony Cochran, um, I put that man on a stick rather than, uh, than, than say hello to him. Um, but I have enormous respect for the job in which he did in garnering attention to a race series and making V8 supercars as it was um, something worthwhile and something so it did become for a while you know, a major sport. It has diminished enormously in the last five to eight years. And I think that they missed an opportunity here. They missed that chance to get out there and get stories happening. But let's talk now about the television because it's obviously going to be a dramatic change. The fact that we've got uh, Fox on one hand saying they're going to put races to air that are already going to be on seven. Lewis, you're well aware of this situation, far better than me. I'm only a recent convert to uh, a television, so talk to me about what you think is going to happen with the, uh, the television in 2021. Well, it, it seems that from the initial kind of reports that Fox Sports, through its streaming service, KO, is looking to uh, stream a few races for free, I guess, as a bit of a loss leader, potentially, to, to get some eyeballs on their platform and hopefully get convince people to sign up because I think over the last six years, the Fox coverage has been exceptional. It was a a huge step up from when it was just seven on its own. Uh, And if you could afford to pay it, I thought it was worth the investment. Um, Particularly those, those early years before Mark Scaife returned to the commentary box and he was on the desk, I thought he was a a great pundit and and probably better suited to that, if I'm honest. But it seems like there's a bit of a um, a stink brewing, potentially, because Seven has the rights to a few free-to-air rounds and that's in conflict with Fox Sports or through KO's intentions. Um, How that plays out is going to be kind of, well, it's a problem for uh, the people in North Sydney, both in Artam and and um, North Sydney itself, to to resolve, but you'd assume, you know, if, if I was in charge of Fox sports, I'd be putting the free to air ones on the platform for free and just show people why the premium product is worth paying a premium for. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had various points either throughout this season or season seasons before where KO has offered free trials. And of course, you know, everyone knows how to make a free trial free and make sure that you don't sign up to it for an elongated period, you know, leading up to Bathurst. I have no doubt that there would have been a lot of people signing up to the free trial of KO and then just cancelling it after the racing was over. Um, I know that I considered at the start of the season, start of the season signing up to it. So I think in those situations it was quite a good loss leader. Um, yeah, the fact that it might be in conflict 
next year with some of Seven's free-to-air races, yeah, you can understand why a Seven would be a, a bit annoyed about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the the product that we've seen on Foxtel over the past couple of years has just been fantastic. You know, Lewis and myself and well, you guys as well, we've, we've had a lot of time around um, and growing up around the sport through various broadcast uh, scenarios. So I, I definitely think the past couple of years have been the strongest for it. We'll see how the seven Fox combination goes, especially with Warburton uh, over at seven and knowing that he still has a love for motorsport. Yeah, I, I reckon it should be good, but both parties need to do the right thing by each other from the early days, otherwise it could get messy. I think what's interesting is a story that folks wrote uh, last week now where he's hinted upon changes in the uh, commentary structure and that would be very interesting. I know Tony has some strong opinions about uh, keeping the broadcast technical and I'm sure he'll go into them in a moment, but uh, for yourself, Lewis, you have made the comment there, Scaife was better at the desk with Jess Yates. I don't disagree with you. I think... uh, having Larkham and Crompton and a professional play-by-play caller could be a a much stronger package for seven to capture the casual observer. I think if you go back to Tony's point about the sport being bigger bigger 20 years ago and that being the peak and that all these opportunities have been lost and it's been diminished, I think a lot of that comes down to perhaps the nuanced nature of commentary at the moment and how it's become overly technical. You know, 20 years ago, he knew Inga was in a Ford, Scaife was in a Holden. They didn't like each other. And that's all that mattered when they were up close on track. Now you have everyone talking about tire degradation, aero wash, and all this kind of boring stuff. And I think the TV, in a way, it has become very insular. Uh, You have, as you said, Mark Larkham, you have Mark Scaife, and you have Neil Compton, who are both, or all, all three of them are incredibly smart and really great at what they do. But you put them together, it becomes a bit of a boys club. Um, and you feel very excluded sometimes because you haven't driven a car and they're talking about this stuff that it's it's intimate knowledge of, of their experience, but it's not relatable sometimes. Whereas previously you had someone like Greg Rass, you had Lee Diffie, you had someone who sat on a hill and watched the cars that way, which is, you know, what the majority of the audience does. And they kind of communicate through that voice. And I don't know if it necessarily needs to be dumbed down because you look at something like the NRL, they have blow by blow commentators. They have an expert in the box as well. And then they go to a desk where everything is dissected. It's critical. It praises things that work well. It's, it's, you know, really good analysis, whereas supercars lacks that. And I think uh, it's good for the, the diehards and people who are bolted on, but it's really kind of, it's excluding a lot of people who would be casual observers and it's to their own detriment. It's the product that they've created and perhaps, you know, a, cha- a, a change is good. I think someone like Neil is probably sacrosanct because he is such a great blow-by-blow commentator, but he has that you know, fantastic breadth of knowledge and experience, Um, you know, but someone like Chad or Matt Nolte, they're really relatable people to listen to because they've sat in the stands, which is how 99% of motorsport interact with it. They, they understand it from that perspective. So yeah, I don't know if necessarily has to be dumbed down because you can do a lot of that on the desk and as part of the coverage, you can have your analysis, but in the box, you know, perhaps freshen it up a bit, make it more, 
uh, inclusive to the casuals. And I don't know if high five, you know, former high five members are necessarily the answer to that. Um, you know, if, if I had my way, I'd take it from a more journalistic point of view. I'd get some, 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 you know, reporters, which is what a lot of sports coverage you know? is in this country. You know, yeah, like get some people who actually ask real questions out there uh, who want to know on, on the fans' perspective rather than just share corporate communications, which is what a lot of the coverage can turn out to be. And Jordan, I'd add uh, Richard Crail to that list that uh, Lewis has also thrown in there as well. Oh, 10 time or whatever he is, the greatest commentator ever. Uh, uh, I mean, you, you can do that a lot with the um, with all the people that we know. Um, and I don't think that's just a, a brag about the people that we do know or trying to suck up to them. We we are privileged to have in Australia a bunch of great motorsport commentators. I mean, just look at the lineup for next year's, uh, you know, Shannon's series or the Motorsport Australia Nationals that will be on Channel 7. You've got a great amount of commentators on there who have expertise in different things and not necessarily from being behind the wheel either. Um, as Lewis said, you've guys, you got guys like Chad Nalon, like Matt Nolte, who have an extreme knowledge of the sport and extreme passion for it as well, but they're not, they've never sat in a race car or they've never driven a race car in proper anger like the guys who are, who are there at the moment. And yeah, I, I get some of the criticism for Greg Rust from mainly being, or sometimes being a bit over to over the top, but there were times there where he worked with Neil Crompton really well. Um, it, it's kind of hard to, I mean, I'll be honest, never really liked Scaife growing up, coming from a Ford family. Uh, and, you know, we all have our Scaife bingo cards and, you know, there's all these Scaifeisms almost as bad as Murrayisms on lines that he'll just wheel out every now and again. But I think him and Crompton actually worked really well together in the commentary, they bounce off each other well. They have a really good working relationship where you can sometimes see in other sports that isn't necessarily the case, you know, like with Martin Brundle and David Croft in the F1, you can sense that they're perhaps not on the same level there, which is sometimes hard. But then we look at our Carrera Cup coverage here with Richard Crail and Chad Nolan, and that works beautifully together. Like it's it's people who get along really well they talk the same language in terms of what they want to convey um yeah and i I don't necessarily agree with dumbing the sport down um i I think that the proposed changes or the alleged changes that folks has put forward as being the potential ones uh uh, would be too much of a move to that you know uh, lewis and i spoke spoke briefly about this on Twitter a few days ago that I'm not a fan of it because I don't get the need to have a children's TV presenter, even though she was, you know, part of my childhood with Paul Morris. Like my main gripe with Morris is that I heard his commentary this year, either through the XL series or the tin tops and especially in the XL series. And he was much more of a cheerleader than he was a commentator. He was absolutely on board with all of his drivers who've gone through Norwell Motorplex and then all those who weren't it, he was just throwing them under the bus. Um, so, yeah, it, I feel like with someone like him, it would be too far in the other direction. Um, by the way, has anyone got Bill Woods's number? I know that he's been out of a job at sports. I think maybe if we could drag him back into it, into supercars, that would uh, really 
reignite the child in me who listened to him, Crompton, Lee Diffie. I mean, those were the years, weren't they? I'd just like to actually look back on 2020 for a second and just talk about this year we saw changes to brakes, changes to tyres, changes to aero, changes to shocks, data, an enormous number of technical changes to the category. Um, What it did do, we saw the same two teams dominating at the end of the year, of course, the same two teams that are going to be up the end of pit lane. Um, But what it did do was that at times we did see uh, Team 18, Brad Jones, Erebus, all of those guys um, drag their cars up, along with Tickford, of course, um, drag their cars up and get them to wins and poles and various other things. So there was a vast evening of the category, an evening out. Um, Driver skill obviously was part of it. Um, in that uh, not everyone got to the very top. Um, so what I was thinking of was um, how do you guys see 2021 coming, where obviously it's a, a precursor year to the uh, Gen 3, the body change and various other things, but we're going to be having much of the same this year. The Holden badge will be lost and there'll be people putting on other badges in their place. But first of all, uh, Lewis, tell us what do you think of the way in which the teams will react to 2021. 20, um, and, you know, we know that there are more driver changes coming. Yeah, well, I hope that the standard can remain where it is. It's obviously been a tough year um, for a lot of the teams and personnel. So you hope that, you know, in terms of sponsorship dollars and whatnot, that they, they're still out there and that the, the quality product that's put out there, um, yeah, is retained. The challenges are going to be understanding uh, racing, what do they call it, in COVID normal uh, permanently. So you can kind of see that forecast in Gen 3 with the larger fuel tanks and the cars are going to have lower horsepower. So you can, in theory, get more races out of uh, one tank or more laps out of one tank of fuel. I think this year it was nice to see a few other guys win. Um, But as I alluded to earlier, it did seem somewhat artificial. You could gamble your whole race weekend on one race, knowing that you were going to be the guy on good tires. So if you're a midfield driver, it was great. You could get your, uh, you know, your, your heavily sponsored car, some good TV coverage for an afternoon, but it was kind of, it was somewhat false. So I don't, I, I still don't know exactly where I sit on that. I think if you're, you know, on the hill watching it, it's good because there's a lot of action, but if you're a bit of a purist, it's, um, it's quite false because it was somewhat premeditated in a way with the, the engineering choice. I also, I, I'm excited to see how the cars work in a sense um, with the restrictions on engineering. I thought that, you know, the, the lack of data this year didn't really impact the racing significantly. It was still good. It gave the drivers a chance to do their job. And I think that's a positive step uh, with the silly season. That's, kind of significant so far how much it's uh how much potential change there is and if i have some criticism of the sport over the last few years i think it's kind of replaced a lot of good drivers prematurely uh, you have people like michael caruso and james moffat and garth tander guys who are still performing you know at the top or near to the top of their game forced out because someone else has more money or there's some kind of commercial implication. So I hope the silly season this year doesn't go that way. I, I really hope that the, the opportunities are there for the best drivers available, not necessarily the ones with, you know, the richest dads or the, you know, the friendliest sponsor. Um, 
I hope that, you know, DJR team Pence or DJR, sorry, uh, can retain their spot towards the front of the field too, because without them and without triple, like, you know, it's a, it's a one horse race essentially, because between them and triple eight, they've been a class above for the last, you know, four or five years now. So, you know, if they get the, the heavily rumored drivers of Anton and, and Will Davidson, those guys are really capable. If they can keep the engineering lineup together, they're also incredibly capable. Um, so that's the hope, I guess, from that front. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that things will improve next year. I tend to agree. I, I've had a lot of time to reflect over this season, especially about the tyre races and understand the feeling that it uh, possibly seemed a bit artificial. Um, that's totally understandable. But, you know, from from a diehard fan of the sport, it actually was sort of refreshing to see that almost the round system had come back or the importance of a round rather than a race was there. You know, you had times where... Scott McLaughlin may not have absolutely dominated a weekend, but then you look at the end of the, sorry, the end of the round points, and he was up the top. Whereas you know you might have had one or two different guys win the rounds that weren't him. So I, I felt like it was quite a quite a good change and really brought the teams into it more. Um, especially when fuel stops were gone, that wasn't a thing anymore because we, we couldn't have that. Um, so to add another level of strategy into it was quite a positive thing. Um, yeah, I'm just keen for how next season is going to turn out because you've got a bunch of cars which are pretty much at the end of their life cycle with Gen 3 coming in 2022. I doubt the teams are going to be investing too much money into the cars next year. You know, we saw it last season with... Kelly Racing within this and Altima's, you know, throughout the year, they just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped throughout the order because they just weren't spending money on development of them because why would you develop a car that just isn't going to compete anymore? I mean, this isn't like the 80s. This isn't the HDT VK big bangers where you just wheel out two brand new cars for the last couple races of the year. This is which are now costing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And teams, especially now with the current economic climate, you can't afford to be wheeling out new ones every year and spending money and at trying to get to the top of the table. It, it'll almost be like F1 in a certain way where at some point you stop focusing on this year's car and start looking towards next year's. Um, yeah. Regardless, I'm still keen for the season. It'll be of note to watch how Triple Eight performs to see if they can actually get some consistency next year. So they haven't really had that since probably 2018. You know, 2019 last year when the Mustang came in, we saw that they were a bit all over the place, especially at the start of the year. I mean, that was to do, uh, of course, with the... Um, the linear spring changes and not having twin springs and all that. Um, but, yeah, the cream rises. I have no doubt that Triple Eight will be up there. It'll be very interesting to see how Will Davison and Anton De Pasquale, if they do go to DJR, uh, how they gel with the team. You know, Will, I hate to say, but probably doesn't have a championship in him. He's probably 
in the twilight part of his career, while um, but he's got a lot of experience behind him, especially developing and setting up cars. Whereas on the other hand, Anton is tipped to be you know the best thing since sliced bread, or at least since Scott McLaughlin. So to see how he uh, really fits in with the team. That will be really good, but but then you've also got guys like Cam Waters who have been the undeniable number one this year for Tickford. You know, almost won Buddy Bathurst, took his first solo race win and pole at the one thousand. So and second in the championship, like that's not a negligible result. The fact that he um yeah really had to carry that team and you know come second only to undeniably the best driver of this latter generation, um, yeah, bring on 2021. I can't wait for it. One story that uh, our good friend Paul Gover, or, or is it Nathan Ball? I can never remember, has broken <laughs> tonight is that uh, it was a rumour going around that Brad and Kim uh, would not be working together in future, and uh, he's published that story tonight that Kim is retiring. So Brad Jones Racing will be Brad Jones Racing. I'm wondering what you guys think of two guys that have been uh, very big characters in the championship over the years. One of them not going to be there, and I imagine if Kim's not there, then his mate out the back won't uh, be harping on about things they don't like either. Yeah, it, it's it's um, that's a sad well, not sad. It's nice that he's getting to retire and whatnot, but it, it's a big change for that team in Albury, and they've consistently done well, um, particularly in the car of the future, Gen 2 era. And you're right, there are big personalities in the paddock as well. You can kind of remember those super touring days where, you know, that's where they earn their reputation for in front of Australian motorsport fans, really, in, in terms of the mainstream. Um, I guess when you look back at their era together in supercars, they've always, I think they hate this this ideology, this, this idea that they punch above their weight, but it is kind of a credit to them that they've, you know, they're not factory back. They're not in a major city. They're two brothers having a go and they've consistently put together fast, if not race winning um, packages. So credit to them there, how that goes for next year. Uh, well, it seems like they're going to retain the four car model too, which is, which is good for them if, if, you know, all their ducks are lined up. It's nice that they've made that alleged investment in a, in a wreck to keep Macaulay in the car. And it sounds like Hazelwood's being kept alongside Percat too. It's a team you hope that is positioned for growth in Gen 3 as well because Percat's an outstanding driver. Hazelwood's on the up. Macaulay's getting better with experience. Um, and they're going to have Jack Smith if another year under his belt too. So, you know, hopefully it's a positive move all around for them. Um, yeah. Enjoy your, your time off, Kim. I'm kind of surprised that uh, Brad's going to be around. I thought that he'd find the tallest bridge near Bathurst and go have a bit of a short jump after what happened at the 1000. I mean, what a horrible amount of luck that that team suffered there. But, yeah, um, BJR, as we said, the punch above their weight in the – Car of the Future era. I mean, we just think back to those early days with Coulthard when he really started to break out. You know, Bridie was up there as well. The team's pretty much always had a third car or now a third and fourth car, which you could tell was um, keeping the bank account topped up. Uh, but, yeah, certainly with with the South Australians in Hazelwood and Burkett, they've got a pretty good future ahead of them. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there with the Blanchard wreck possibly leaving the team, whether they stay at four cars or if they drop down to three again or, yeah, just that whole arrangement will be really interesting to play out. But, um, yeah, BJR, I think they would be as much of a loss as GRM if they did leave the sport. So the impact that they've had, especially in the more recent era, has been massive. But, yeah, Kim Jones has been a, a really big part of that operation. Hopefully Bradley can operate it uh, just as well without his brother. I, I'm going to sort of hark back on a time when uh, Brad and Kim were racing in uh, two-litre and they hadn't come to supercars yet, and I started going to call the Thunderdome to go and watch them specifically. And something that you alluded to, uh, Jordan, uh, persistence. And I watched as uh, Kim was actually working on the car still in those days, and it was a front right wheel on their Chev Monte Carlo or whatever the hell they were racing. And uh, for six times, Brad would uh, go out and then come back in pit lane. They'd work on it and then go back out again and not go down a lap until I came back in and, and Brad actually finished the race, I think, in second or third place or whatever. But I remember the greatest accolade that uh, Brad and Kim have talked to me about that they ever received was when they beat the Charlie Lamb schnitzer cars at Macau uh, with their Audis. And Charlie Lamb said that, you know, they were a great team to beat schnitzer at Macau. And uh, I'm sure that if you ask uh, Kim or Brad still today, they would still regard that as their greatest accolade because there they were, this little team from Albury, racing cars against the might of the German BMW team at Macau and winning. Um, but thank you very much to Jordan and uh, Jordan Mulek and Lewis Isaacs for joining us on Inside Supercars. I hope, Craig, that we can get them back in early 21 when lots of the uh, particular pieces will be better known. The, you know, the various players and the various colours will have uh, shown themselves. You know, a Fabian in Castrol, maybe, or uh, well, I don't think Dave Reynolds is ever really going to change colours, despite the stories that were out there. Um, so I hope, Lewis, Jordan, that you'll join us in uh, 2021 before the season kicks off, maybe at the mountain or maybe somewhere else. Um, we wish you both uh, a great Christmas and uh, Enjoy uh, your time away from the racetrack for a while. Thank you again Thank for you joining us on Inside Supercars. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Yeah, it's been a privil- uh, privilege and a pleasure. Yeah, what he Wonderful said. guys. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.